pray with me. Our Lord and our God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. There's an interesting book out there. It's called The Book of Failures. And it's filled with all kinds of stories of of failures that people have made. For instance, the book introduces an interesting man named Arthur Pedrick, who has patented 162 inventions, none of which have been picked up and used commercially. A couple of examples uh, include a car that can be driven from the back seat. That brings new meaning to backseat driver. A golf ball that could be steered in flight. Wouldn't that come in handy, guys? And a plan to irrigate the deserts of the world by sending a constant supply of snowballs from the polar region through a massive network of giant pea shooters. I kid you not that there's a patent for a giant network of pea shooters. Crazy, crazy stuff. There's one one other story in the book about an elderly lady in South London who called a group of firefighters to rescue her cat from a tree. Uh, They arrived with impressive speed and they carefully took her prized kitty out of the branches. She was so thankful that she invited them in for tea. So they had tea, received another round of thanks from the woman, and drove off waving goodbye. As they backed out of her driveway, they drove right over her cat. (laughs) I can tell who the dog lovers are and the cat lovers are by your response there. We all make mistakes, right? We all fail at different times in our lives. Some of the failures are, are small, really not that big of a deal. Some of them kind of hurt in a moment, but then we get over them quickly. Some are private, some are public. Some of them are real doozies, big ones that, that really bother us, that keep us awake, that we carry around, that make us feel guilty or ashamed. But, but what the question is for us in the midst of a failure like that, where is, where is God in that? How does God respond to our failures? Today we come to that question, who is God to me, to you, after we sin, after we fail? What is going on in God's heart and mind, his attitude and his spirit, when we, when we fail, when we fall flat on our face, when we cheat or lie, when we gossip or slander, when we get a divorce, when we blow up and lose our temper at somebody for no reason whatsoever? When we get a DUI, when we view porn, when we have an affair, when we get high, when we betray everything we know to be right and make a mockery of our belief in God, who is God to us then? How does it all play out? But we don't have to guess, thank God, because the Bible tells us through somebody named Peter that his story, a man who screwed up beyond belief and then came face to face with the very person that he that he hurt that he failed, the risen Jesus Christ. Now, (laughs) as we know, Peter was one of the most intimate, trusted followers of Jesus. Jesus personally sought him out and called him to be one of his disciples, to follow him. And and so Peter spent the next three years with Jesus by his side, listening and learning from Jesus' stories, witnessing Jesus' miracles, watching every move that Jesus made. He was personally mentored, molded, and developed to be a leader for a life of significance and impact. And then, on the last night he would spend with Peter, Jesus pulls Peter to the side. And he tells Peter that he's going to be betrayed, 
that he's going to be turned over to the authorities. He's going to be crucified. And he tells Peter to take heart and to not lose faith. As those events began to unfold, that the other disciples would need his leadership, his courage. They would need his strength. He needed to be strong. Now, Peter, like most of us would have responded to Jesus, looked Jesus in the eye and said, you can count on me. I will not fail you. I will not let you down. Others might, but not me. I'm your man. I would lay down my life for you, Jesus. But Jesus looks right back at Peter and says, Would you really? Before the dawn comes, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And I'm sure Peter was stunned and shocked by that and probably protested and resolved in his heart that he would never, ever, ever turn away from Jesus. And then it all begins to unfold, just like Jesus had said it would. In a landslide of events that kind of speed up intensity, and Jesus is betrayed by Judas, one of the other disciples. Peter fights a guard who's trying to arrest Jesus, cuts off his ear. Jesus heals it and puts it back. And in the end, Jesus is taken away by the authorities. Let's pick up the story in a couple chapters before John 21. (coughs) Excuse me. John 18, beginning at verse 15. Simon Peter followed along behind, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the courtyard with Jesus. Peter stood outside the gate, and then the other disciple spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? No, he said, I'm not. The guards and the household servants were standing around a charcoal fire that they had made because it was cold, and Peter stood there with them, warming himself. As Simon Peter was standing by the fire, they asked him again, Aren't you one of his disciples? I am not, he said. But one of the household servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And immediately, a rooster crowed. No matter what you may have done or experienced, I can't imagine a more complete failure and spiritual breakdown than what happens here with Peter. I mean, everything his life has been about, everything he's committed himself to for the past three years, everything he has pledged himself to, he renounces. He's been a disciple, one of the chosen twelve. He's walked and talked and laughed and celebrated with Jesus. He's gone public with his commitment even saying that if it ever came down to it, he would be the last man standing. You can count on me, Jesus. Jesus had selected him to be a leader. Jesus gave him a new name. Remember when he was first called, his name was Simon? But Jesus says, you are now to be called Peter, a name which meant the rock. Jesus was saying with that new name, I can build on you. I trust you. I believe in you. But then in a single night, even with Jesus warning him in advance, he denies ever knowing him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And the rooster crows. And all of his bravado and posturing and spiritual confidence just crumbles away. Some rock. Now, I don't think that any of us can imagine the depth of heartache, guilt, and fear that Peter must have felt at that moment. Although we can probably 
be in the ballpark. Have you ever done something? I mean, we all have. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong, that you, that you knew you shouldn't have done, that you even vowed you would never do, but you did it? I have. It's one of the, the worst feelings that you can have. And Peter felt that and then some. He had totally and utterly screwed up. He had dropped about as far off of God's dream team as anybody could. After that night, everything else that Jesus predicted started to happen too. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. On the third day when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, they discovered the stone had been rolled away and news begins to spread that people are beginning to see Jesus Christ risen, alive, and well. But where did that leave Peter? What would happen when he saw Jesus next? He knew what he deserved, complete rejection. He hoped for a second chance. But he probably thought to himself, there's no way, not after what I've done. He warned me, he told me what I was going to do, and I did it anyway. How could there be anything worse than what I've done? So what does Peter do? The same thing a lot of people would do in a situation. He gave up. He avoids Jesus. He goes back to his life before he met Jesus. He thought Jesus must be through with him, so he would have to be through with Jesus. And so he goes back to what he was doing when he first met Jesus. Before he met Jesus, he went fishing. Now, the first time that Peter and Jesus met, remember the story? Peter wasn't catching much. Jesus comes along, and Jesus is a carpenter. This is Peter's area of expertise, catching fish. He's been out all day, but nothing's biting. And Jesus, this carpenter, comes to him, this man he didn't know, and says, try again. And this time, let me show you where to fish. So Peter humors him, and they go out in the water. And Jesus says, throw your nets over there. And you remember what happened? Peter follows his instructions, and the nets can't hold all the fish that they catch. Peter's response is, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He knew he was in the presence of somebody holy. I'm a sinful man, he says. And while this was true, Peter was, like all of us, a moral failure. Jesus didn't go away. Jesus simply says, Peter, I want you to come. I want you to come and follow me. And so Peter does. But Peter has abandoned Jesus, and he just knows that Jesus would never want anything else to do with him, so he goes back to what he knew, fishing. And some of the other disciples went along with him too, but then something unexpected happens. Pick it up in John 21 again, verse 4. At dawn, the disciples saw Jesus standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who it was. He called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of fish. So they did. And they couldn't draw in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then John said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he jumped into the water and swam ashore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled a loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 300 feet out. When they got there, they saw that a charcoal fire was burning and fish were frying over it, and there was bread. There's a little bit of deja vu going on here, isn't there? 
It's almost an exact repeat of the first time Jesus and Peter met, remember? Peter was fishing, not catching anything. The stranger comes along and says, cast your net over there. And the net is full of fish and almost breaks. Peter must have made the connection. Was Jesus saying there could be another beginning, a new beginning, another chance? Would Jesus want anything to do with him now? When the disciples got ashore, Jesus was saying near a charcoal fire, again, deja vu. The same kind of fire that Peter had stood near when he had denied Jesus just about a week or so ago. Three times. It was the most vivid reminder imaginable of Peter's failure. That kind of place it in our, in our day and age. Let's say, just to give you a sense of what was going on here, let's say that you met your best friend in college. Uh, thick as thieves. Stood up for each other's weddings. And where you first met was at a lake. You were at a, a beach party or something, and, and he was grilling burgers, and you connected, and you, and you were just the best of friends. But then you hurt him. You betray him. Maybe you steal his girlfriend. Maybe you do something horrible. You hurt him deeply. You betray him. And you don't want to be around him because you're so guilty. You're so embarrassed. You're so ashamed. And so you avoid him. And, and you're out at the same lake fishing one day, and you, you, you notice that as you come to the shore... There's your friend. He's standing at the source, same place, grilling burgers. He's offering you a new beginning. How would you feel? Verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus asked again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. I, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He was hurt. That Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Did you notice the question that Jesus asked Peter? He doesn't say, what were you thinking that other night? He doesn't say, how could you do that? I, I told you ahead of time and you still did it anyway. They say, are you sorry for what you've done? He didn't say, do you promise that you will never do that again? It'll never happen again. No, Jesus begins by saying simply, do you love me? The question, do you love me, is the first thing on God's mind after we fail him. As New Testament scholar Murray Harris put it, first things first. You see, when we sin, it's our betrayal. It's our disowning. Jesus didn't call him Peter here at first because the question was whether Simon wanted to be Peter. Did he want to go back to being Simon like he was before he met Jesus or did he want to be Peter, a rock for Jesus, a man who was willing to give his life for Jesus? When we sin, we're the ones who turn away. Do you love me, Jesus asked, three times. Just as Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus wanted Peter to make the connection. He was restoring him. I love you. What Peter was saying here is, you know everything about me. 
You know me beyond my actions, beyond my sin. You know it's deep inside. You know that I love you, Lord, despite my failures. You know that I love you. And Peter did love Jesus despite his spectacular failure. There was no question where his heart was toward God. So he says, Jesus, we both know what I did. But you also know my heart. You know that I love you. And three times Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. What's he saying here? He's saying, don't let your sin be the last word. Do not run from me. Do not run from your calling. Get back in the game. Do not run back to your old life. Peter, I want you to follow me. Go and serve others. Go and love others. He says, I want you to come and follow me. Which were the very same words that Jesus had said to him at the start of the relationship. The ones that made Peter drop his nets and start doing life with Jesus. And now suddenly the charcoal fire that only represented failure now represents something brand new. Forgiveness and a second chance. And the forgiveness isn't just for Peter. God offers complete forgiveness to anyone who wants it and asks for it. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, he was saying, I paid the price for every sin, every failure, every mistake, every screw up, even yours, even that one that you think is too big. You see, Jesus Christ did not come to condemn, but he came to save. And he came to offer new life. And that doesn't mean that we should ignore the lessons to be learned from sin. It doesn't mean that sometimes there aren't consequences for our sin. <laughs> it doesn't mean that our sins are something that God takes lightly. But sin does not have to be the final verdict in our life. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we can come before a loving and, and living and, and faithful God and say, I'm sorry, I really do love you. Forgive me. And God will. And then he'll add, let's start over, follow me. That's who God is after we sin. Now, you may wonder if you can ever push the patience of God to the limit and never get another chance. Or you may feel like you've taken him up on second chances before, but there's a limit to how many times you can come to him in failure. Or maybe, you can, maybe you're scared that you've committed a sin or a series of sins that are simply too great for God to forgive. There have been times in my life when I've asked that question. Peter thought the same thing. But then when what he, what he feared most took place, standing face to face with the one that he betrayed, Jesus Christ, he discovered something so radical he hardly knew how to respond. He learned that God is a God of forgiveness and the second chances and third and fourth and one hundredth chances. The God of new beginnings, no matter how many times they are needed in our lives. And we need them. The cross is there for you and me. And there's a fire built there, and Jesus is calling us to come and stand with him. But first things first. Jesus asks, do you love me? Forgiveness isn't just a Peter thing. But neither is the question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? For some of us, that question from Jesus means, are you still wanting to be in a relationship with me? We were in the game once, we were following him, but we fell away. And now our life is in free fall. God feels far away and, and we are the one who moved. Do we really want to go back to life the way it was before? Do we really want to go back to fishing or do we want to go back to following? If that fits you, come to the cross. 
Come to the charcoal fire. Tell him that you love him. Hear him say, follow me. For some of you, the question from Jesus means something else. You've always believed, but it's just a head knowledge. It's not something that, that it's at the core that drives you, that burns in you. It's, it's religion. It's not a relationship. It's principle, not passion and love for the Lord. Can you say what Peter said? Can you stand before him and say, Lord, you know that I love you? If not, are you willing to come to the foot of the cross where Jesus stands and say, I haven't loved you, but I want to. For some of us, this is a time to look closely at the answer Peter gave. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Not because you gave it once and slipped away. Not because you say you do, but you really don't. But because you've never come to Jesus with your life before now. And your life doesn't show love for God and your heart doesn't know love for God and you long for it and you wish you could live for something more, something bigger than yourself. You wish you could, become, you could come to God and begin a relationship. And the good news is that you can. And you can hear him say, follow me. It simply involves us praying to the Lord and telling them that we need his forgiveness. Offering our heart and life to him. Asking him to, to be our forgiver and our savior and to follow him. You know, a moment where we come into communion and um, it's a meal. Just like the meal that Jesus had with, with Peter in John 21. Communion is about a meal of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation where Jesus plays the host, where Jesus has the bread and and the cup ready for us, where broken lives can be made whole, where where guilty consciences can be assuaged, where, where we can find God's love and joy and peace. God is the God of second and third and hundredth and a thousandth chances. God loves each one of us. So as we come to the table today, let us do so with humility. Let us come with gratitude. Jesus asks us the question, do you love me? Will you follow me? As we partake today, I encourage you to reflect upon that question. Will you follow me? Do you love me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. (laughs) We thank you for his life and love and for what is represented here at the table. That Jesus Christ did for us on the cross what we could not do for ourselves. Took care of our sin. Justified us before you, a perfect and holy God. Poured out his love upon us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the fact that Jesus is not just someone who gave his life, but he also gives us life. He rose again from the dead and offers us new life. Lord, you know the condition of our hearts. You know our failures. Lord, forgive us. Lord, restore us. Help us, Lord, to grow in our love for you. We want to follow you. Now I encourage each person here in a moment of silence to to pray to the Lord in in their spirit, to confess sin, to ask for forgiveness, to commit yourself to following him. Lord, we thank you for your grace. 
We thank you for your assurance of our forgiveness. That if we confess our sin, that you who are faithful and just will forgive us our sin (laughs) and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord. Amen.